Okay, so we're going to continue our discussion about Tishrei, the month of Tishrei. Really, the last two weeks we talked about Shuvah, which was the, which is of course the lead up until Tishrei, the month of Shuvah, the month of Elul. But then we come to Tishrei itself. Tishrei itself, we know, is on the one hand, it's, called, it's the beginning of the year, Reish Hashanah, but it's also called the seventh month, right? We know that the uh, the Hebrew calendar really has two beginnings. On the one hand, the calendar begins on Rosh Hashanah, but when you think when you talk about the months of the year, so the first month of the year is the month of Nisan. So whenever the Torah when the Torah says the first or second month, it counts from the month of Nisan. And therefore, the month of Tishrei is Chodesh Hashvi'i, the seventh month. So in the uh, parsha, when it talks about all the Yom Tovim of Tishrei, it's Bachodesh Hashvi'i, Bachodesh Hashvi'i Be'echel Achodesh. On the first day of the month is Rosh Hashanah. Bachodesh Hashvi'i Be'Eser Achodesh. The tenth of the month is Yom Kippur, and so on. Um, is brought in Medrash that the word Shvi'i, which means seven, also comes from the word Lisboa, which means to fill, like we say in Benching. You eat and you're satiated and you make a bracha. So the month of Tishrei is the seventh month and the month that fills us with spiritual koiches, with ruchmiyistike energies to take throughout the year. And there's no month that's as packed as Yom Tov and as messages and as energies as this month that's filled with Rosh Hashanah and Nasser Yismei and Yom Kippur and it's just one to the other, and each one is so packed full with meaning and with kayach that is giving us for the entire year. So that's Chodesh Hashvi. So in tonight's year, we're going to give a little bit of a, try to touch on some of the main points of this amazing month, the most powerful of our months. Of course, it starts with Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is a yamtiv that um, is many times not understood um, or misunderstood. Um, many people look at it as a day of tshuva. And although Rosh Hashanah is one of the ten days of tshuva, it's the first of the ten days of tshuva, but to say Rosh Hashanah is a day of tshuva is really missing what Rosh Hashanah is because it's so much deeper than that, it's so much more essential than that. In fact, in the davenings of Rosh Hashanah, we don't say slichos, and we don't say al and we don't say confessions. There's really very little mention of actual tshuva in the davenings of Rosh Hashanah. What is the essence of Rosh Hashanah? And Hasidus talks about this a lot. Um, and perhaps the most telling statement about where, what Rosh Hashanah is, the Alter Rebbe tells us in Tanya. And he says, based on a Pasuk that we had recently in the Torah, I think it's Pashas Ekev. The Pasuk says, it talks about Eretz Yisrael. And it says, Eine Hashem ba, The eyes of Hashem are riveted on Eretz Yisrael. From the beginning of the year until the end of the year. And that's, a, you know, Eretz Yisrael is a subject for itself, and Hashem's eyes are, are riveted on Eretz Yisrael, all the bracha starts from Eretz Yisrael. Um, you may very well remember whenever in the last 40, 50 years there were wars in Israel, the Rebbe would always quote this passage. It's the place that Hashem's eyes are riveted on, it. You know, we have nothing to worry about, and there will be nisim and so on and so forth. But that's a subject for itself. The Alter Rebbe um, notes something interesting about the passage. It says... Hashem's eyes are there from the beginning of the year until the end of the year. Now, if Hashem is looking at it from the beginning of the end of the year, what's another way of saying that? The whole year. Or, or always. Forever, always. Always. Forever. So it should have said, <coughs> Hashem is always looking at it. From the beginning of the year till the end of the year, as if there's a beginning and an end, it's always. But we learned from you, I think last year, that it's... 
that the year that the world is like hanging. Right. And like right. The first and that's, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly, I'm repeating the same idea. And that is this is the foundation. This is where it comes from. It says the Altarim that everything that Hashem does in this world is in one year increments. So Hashem doesn't do anything forever. He does it for a year. The whole highest, the whole energy that's pumped into this world, all the bracha, all the giving, everything that comes into this world, Hashem gives on Rosh Hashanah for one year. And at the end of the year, and that's exactly what you're mentioning correctly, this is always my fear that people remember the shiur from beforehand. Like, but... Um, so the the you should uh, be happy. <laughs> it means you know it means a lot to us. Obviously, <laughs> I'm, obviously, I'm kidding. Um, the the uh, Hashem gives us gives the energy for the world for an entire year, and then on the eve of Rosh Hashanah and the new year, the energy supply that was given for the year ascends back to Hashem, and that's what you're saying that everything is in a sense hanging on that night. Um, the energy, the highest, the vitality of the worlds goes back. And Rosh Hashanah, the primary avoida of Rosh Hashanah is drawing it back down. And that's really what Rosh Hashanah is about, more than anything else, more than tshuva and more than um, all the different details that we think. And of course, Rosh Hashanah is a day of judgment, a day of din, but the essence of what's happening is that the entire energy and vitality of Hashem for the entire coming year, is right now hanging in the balance. And we have the awesome ability, job, and responsibility of being the ones to daven and to do the avoda of Rosh Hashanah to ensure or to awaken by Hashem the desire to say, yes, we'll do it for another year. And every year it's all over again. To get that yes out of Hashem. And that's the intensity of the avoda of Rosh Hashanah. Um, the two words that are perhaps brought in Hasidus most associated with Rosh Hashanah is Binyan HaMalchus. Literally means rebuilding Hashem's Malchus. We know that all of the energy that comes into this world comes from that part of Hashem that's called Melech. We say it in Ashrei. Malchuscha Malchus Kol HaOlamin. That it's Hashem's kingdom, Hashem's um, his sovereignty, that gives chayis, that gives energy, that gives light, that gives vitality to all worlds. And Rosh Hashanah, we're doing binyan hamalchus, we're rebuilding Hashem's malchus for another year. So technically, if we didn't do that, then there would not be no renewal of the world? Right. So hypothetically, hypothetically. if everybody together would decide, this Rosh Hashanah, off the map. So all the Jewish people and all the cities and everyone would make this achlata, we're making achlata, no Rosh Hashanah. So hypothetically, there wouldn't be a new highest for the world, but that's only hypothetical because Hashem promises that these things won't stop and Hashem won't stop and Kuala Yisrael won't stop and Torah won't stop and Mitzvahs won't stop. So there could be one person who does, one person who doesn't, but as a whole, that's something that never happened and never will. But, and really, where did all this begin? Like everything goes all the way back to the beginning. What happened on the very, very first Rosh Hashanah of creation? What happened on the first day? The first Rosh Hashanah was the sixth day of creation. Adam was created, Adam and Chava, and what's one of the first things they did? Adam and Chava gather, it says, the the animals, and it says, Let's bow before Hashem and accept Him as our King. And here we have the idea that when Hashem created the world, it came from His own will and His own goodness. Nobody was deserving because there wasn't a world. But then He said, you have to earn it. 
And you have to, through your Avaida, renew that energy that comes to the world. And just like other Mauritians did it on the first Rosh Hashanah, six days into creation, we commemorate that every year on Rosh Hashanah. Interestingly, and, and as the point has been made so many times, we don't have Rosh Hashanah on the day of creation. We have Rosh Hashanah on the day of creation of man. Right? One would, one would think the most significant day of the world, the day of creation of the world, which is on the 25th of Elul, right? which is going to be tomorrow night. Tomorrow night is the day of creation. But tomorrow night is not celebrated as Rosh Hashanah. Because creation, Hashem did. On the sixth day is when it was given over to mankind. From now on, it's your job. It's your job to elicit from Hashem the desire to give and the desire to create and the desire to recreate, which really happens every day. As we say in our davening, HaMachadish, B'chol Yom Tuvo, Hashem really renews, is constantly recreating. But every year it happens for the year. Every year in Rosh Hashanah, that chayis is drawn down for the entire year. Which begs the question, how are we that important to be able to do that? I mean, here we're talking about, if we think in the bigger picture, we're talking about the entire creation. The entire creation includes everything, right? All the worlds and all the uh, cosmos and all the planets and all the Milky Way, whatever it is, way beyond whatever we can imagine. And what's happening is Hashem says, okay, I don't know if I'm interested, in a sense, right? Hashem probably doesn't talk the way we talk, but the idea, the idea is, you know, maybe not. So then it's up to us, very regular and finite people, to elicit from Hashem the will for creation. Now that's a feather in our cap. But why? What is it about us that makes us worthy, makes us able, makes us powerful enough to reach so deeply into Hashem and elicit His desire for creation? And this is a great question. And Chassidus talks about it, obviously. But is it because Hashem created man to have the Torah? Okay, for sure, very much part of it, for sure part of it. And I, what you're going to see, I'm going to touch on that. But I want to share with you, and I, very likely I've shared this in the past, but I want to share with you two beautiful parables that are given about the Avoida of Rosh Hashanah, and specifically about the primary mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah, which is the shofar. Right? All of this Avoida, everything that we're trying to accomplish in Rosh Hashanah, happens through the primary mitzvah of the day, which is the mitzvah of Shofar. And here we have, Hasidus tells us two amazing parables about Shofar. Again, parables that's very likely we've heard before, but to, that, that are meant to be really um, spoken about every Rosh Hashanah. One comes from the Baal Shem Tov, and one comes from the great Tzadik, Reb Levi Yitzchak of Bardichev. And the Rebbe Maharash, who's the fourth Rebbe, actually talks about both of these parables at length, in a very lengthy mimer, very lengthy Hasidic discourse, and he goes through the parables. But in short, what are they? I'm not going to, not without elaboration. The first is the parable of the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov says, he talks about a king who has a wonderful son, a wise son, and the king sends the son far to, uh, you know, to explore the, uh, the land, to learn all the different secrets of the land. And as the story has it, he sent him with a lot of money, and he sent him with servants, but the son went from place to place, and he slowly forgot everything forgot his relationship with the palace. He forgot everything, and then he got involved in all different types of uh, you know, uh, behaviors, not, uh, not, uh, uh, not royal types of behaviors, very mundane behaviors, and he basically sold everything he had, and after a couple of years, he remained destitute and remained very distant from his father, the king, distant in every way. And then he decided, you know what, maybe, maybe we'll go home. 
and he makes, takes a long journey. He comes to the uh, comes to the um, capital, and he comes to the king's palace. Nobody recognizes him, and he doesn't even remember the language of the capital, the language of the of the palace. And he's standing outside the palace doors, and they're not going they're not letting him in. He says, "That's my father, the king." Everyone's laughing from him, and he cries. He just cries out bitterly from his heart. And the father in the palace hears the voice of his child, runs down, opens the door, goes out and hugs and kisses the child, brings him in. And reinstates him as the prince. Balshemto said, "That's the story of Shefer. Hashem, we're the obviously we're the child, and Hashem is our father, and He sends us into the world. And many times we get lost, and we get lost in one way or another way, depending on how distant. But it comes a time we want to come back, and we don't know exactly how even to address Hashem. And the Shefer is that simple cry, it's a simple cry that represents the voice of a child crying out to his parent. And that's Balshemto's mission." Of blowing of a shofar, he says that's why it's it's a very simple sound and it's not sophisticated and there's no words and it's no language. It's a cry. A shofar, the shofar blast is a cry. And it's a cry from a child to a parent that's more that's more powerful than anything else than any explanation or any uh, any speech that the child can give. That's the Bashem Tov's mashal. Then you have the mashal of the Bardichev, Rabbi Yitzchak of Bardichev, um, who comes from a whole different angle. And his mashal is about, again about a king, but this king was traveling in the forest, and he got lost, and he was very distant from his kingdom, and he's looking for someone to help him get back on track to go back home to the kingdom. And nobody recognizes him. Nobody knows who the king is, and nobody knows where the king capital is. He's in a, in a land of simpletons. But one wise person recognizes him, recognizes him, that's the king, and he accepts him, and he takes care of him, and he brings him to the path, and he shows him how to get back to his palace. The king sends for this person and appoints him to become a minister in his palace. And then he serves as a minister. But one day, lo and behold, this minister sins against the king. Some type of a rebellious behavior. And the king, although he loves the minister, tells the judges, you know, you got to do with him, you got to do with him, you got to judge him. And they judged him, they judged him, and the, he recognizes that his plight is very difficult because he rebelled against the king. And he comes to the king and says, whatever punishment is meant for me, I accept. I have one request. The request is, I want to have a moment with you, my king. But in that moment, I want you and I to both dress up in the same way that we were dressed when I met you in that forest so many years ago. And the king says, fine. And when he did that, that elicited the king's memories of that uh, of the trustworthiness of this faithful uh, prince. And he was able to forgive him for everything that was done, and he reinstated him. Says the Bardit the king is Hashem. The wise person is Klal Yisrael. Where were we helpful, so to speak, to Hashem? By Matan Torah. Hashem, Hashem came to the world 3,330, uh, what, one years ago. And he says, I need a place for my Torah. I need a nation to accept my Torah. And nobody wants it. As we know, the Gemara tells us he went to this nation, that nation, the ministers of the nations. But Klai Yisrael said, yes, Nasev and Ishma. They accepted the Torah and accepted the mission of Hashem in this world. Now it's Rosh Hashanah. It's thousands of years later, and perhaps we weren't perfect this year. When we blow the shafer that's remembering Matan Torah, just like with Matan Torah, there was the shafer blown, as the Prophet says. When we blow the shafer, we're reminding Hashem and ourselves of Maimed Harsinai, when we stood before Harsinai and we accepted Nasav and Ishma. And when we do that, Hashem remembers who we are, remembers what we accepted, and that is able to afford whatever forgiveness we need on Rosh Hashanah. That is the mushal, the parable, or the metaphor of the great tzaddik, Reb Levi Yitzchak of Bardichev, who was, of course, a colleague of the Alter Rebbe, family of the Alter Rebbe later, their children married, or their grandchildren married. What's the 
essential message. So the, each parable is beautiful on its own. But both of them talk about the tremendous, tremendous power and importance that we have by Hashem. Both of them bring out that point, though from two different angles. The Baal Shem Tov's angle was, what's our powerful connection? We're children. And as far as a child might roam, and even if the child forgot the language of the parent, when a parent hears their child's cry, everything else is commentary. And that's the, that is the Baal Shem Tov's message. Baal Shem Tov's message comes to Rosh Hashanah, he says, we come to Hashem, we, we may be, who knows how far? Doesn't matter. As long as we come and we cry out, we cry out to Hashem, we say, we want, we want to come home. A parent always has place for the child to come home. That's the Baal Shem Tov's mashal. The Barditchever's mashal talks about a different angle of the story. Not necessarily about being children, we're children also, but in the mashal of the Barditchever, it's not a child. The Eretz were the ones that were entrusted with Hashem's mission in this world. We're the ones who accepted the Torah. We're the ones who said Nasev and Ishma. What is the Torah? The Torah is Hashem's plan for this world. Hashem created a big world, and then He created a manual. And that manual is the Torah. Through the Torah, Hashem's mission and creation is completed. And we are the ones that accepted it upon ourselves when no one else was interested, no one else wanted, was knew. We accepted to be the, um, the carriers of Hashem's Torah, of Hashem's instruction, of Hashem's mission to this world. So when we come to Hashem, and yes, we mess up inevitably here and there as people, as a nation, but we always come back and say, but Hashem, Hashem, but, but we're the ones, remember, we're the ones that are there to carry out your mission in this world. When you have these two mishalom together, when you have these two ideas, when we remember on the one hand we're children, and for a child there's never a closed door, and when we remember that we are the ones that were entrusted and accepted upon ourselves to carry out that mission, that gives us the ability to ensure and to rekindle, if you will, that desire of Hashem, yes, we're going we're gonna to do it again. We're going to have another year. We're going to have a, a year of, of new bracha and a year of new uh, drawing down uh, divine energy and light. In fact, as the Rebbe would say so many times, I just heard a recording of the Sikha today with the Rebbe says, but always, that every year, it's not just Hashem re-brings down His energy for the year, it's a new level of energy and a new level of divinity that never came into this world before. Which means that every year successively Rosh Hashanah, it's not the same thing. It's not, we're not restarting. We're not just doing it again. We're drawing down a new level and a new power and a new empowerment of Hashem to fulfill the Hashem's mission in this world. And that's Rosh Hashanah. So, what specific avoda do we do on Rosh Hashanah? Okay, that's, so we're accomplishing. We're trying to accomplish to bring Hashem back into the world. Bring Hashem's energy into the world for a new year. Draw down bracha for a new year. Through what avoda? So I said through blowing shofar. Okay, but that's that's the blast of blowing shofar. What particular avoda do we concentrate on on Rosh Hashanah? It's really three words, or four. Kabbalas ol malchus shemayim. We we're accepting that Hashem be our king again. And we're accepting that with everything that we daven and everything that we say is all about that. We're accepting Hashem's melucha, His kingdom. Um, and the mushal, the metaphor brought in Hasidus many times, is that just like physically, when a nation has to appoint a king, so what primary 
act is done in when you're appointing a king is the acceptance of his kingdom, the acceptance of his reign, of his the yoke of his reign. And that is what we're concentrating on in Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, and that's why, what do we do most of the time in Rosh Hashanah? We daven. And what do we daven? We say Tehillim. The big thing, especially in Chabad, is always in Rosh Hashanah, just to say Tehillim. As much Tehillim as you can. You know, Obviously, there's a Rosh Hashanah meal, and there's a Seuda, and there's other things, and there's davening, and there's Shafer. But what do you do when you have a free moment on Rosh Hashanah? The thing is Tehillim. Because Tehillim is simple, it's not uh, deep stuff, and we're not learning and understanding profound ideas. It's the acceptance that we are, um, as we say in Davening, I know Avda Dukushabrihu, we're servants to Hashem, and we call upon Hashem to be our king again, and through being our king, he'll be the king over the entire world again. We say every time we make a bracha, Baruch Hashem Elokeinu Melech Olam. Through making Hashem our Hashem, through that, his malchus goes into the entire world. Um, we're the ambassadors of that kingdom to the entire world. And in Rosh Hashanah, that is the Avedah to find within ourselves that Kabbalah's oh, that acceptance of the yoke of heaven through the cry of the Shafer, which is again reminding us, reminding Hashem how we're his children, reminding Hashem how we're the ones entrusted in his mission, and we accept it upon ourselves, that mission. And therefore, we daven to Hashem and a high point of davening is when we say in Shemona Esrei, Meloch al kol ha'olam kolo b'chvodecha, be a king over the entire world with your with your in your glory and so on. And so many of the tefillahs of Rosh Hashanah are all about drawing down that malchus of Hashem into this world. And that's with that we start the first day of the year. And with that we draw down chayas for this entire year. That's why when we when we bench when we bless each other, aksiba b'chasima tova, we're really blessing ourselves that the new energy brought into this year should be a positive energy, a good energy, a, a energy that's revealed good, as we say, b'toyv hanira v'hanigra. That's Rosh Hashanah. Let's fast forward to Yom Kippur. Okay, there is the week in between, a full week of uh, the highest level of tshuva. We talked about last week, tshuva ilah, the higher level of tshuva. That's that week between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. But let us, again, fast forward to Yom Kippur. What's Yom Kippur? So everyone knows Yom Kippur is a fast day. Yom Kippur is a, um, is a day of davening. Yom Kippur is a day of tshuva, intense tshuva. Um, and Yom Kippur will say the confessions, the al-chait that we don't really say in the entire year. And Yom Kippur we say it again and again. It's a very intense day, Yom Kippur. But again, just like Rosh Hashanah, let's try to see what's the essence of Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah has so many parts, but the essence is Kabbalah Samalchus, is bringing down that kingdom of Hashem. What's the essence of Yom Kippur according to Chassidus? So, there's an interesting debate in the Gemara. Debate between, I'm pretty sure it's Rabbi Yehuda and the Chacham. And that is, Yom Kippur brings atonement. There's no question about that. Do you have to do tshuva in order to receive the atonement of Yom Kippur? Yes or no? So Rabbi Yehuda, again, I hope I'm not making a mistake, but I'm pretty sure it's Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda says, no, tshuva is not necessary. To quote him, he says, Itsumo shel yom mechaper. The essence of the day brings atonement. Yom Kippur is so holy, it's so powerful, that the day brings atonement whether you did shuvah or you didn't do shuvah. That's the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. The Chachamim, the sages say no. Got to do shuvah. They say an interesting statement. They say, it's the essence of the day brings atonement if you did shuvah. 
machlokas. It's a it's a debate in the in the Mishnah. Now Rambam Maimonides paskins and halacha. He said he paskins with the Chacham. And he says itzumo shel yom mechaper. The essence of the day does bring kapara lashavim to those who repent. So the question is, well, if it's because I did tshuva, then it's not the essence of the day. Right? Again, Rabbi Yehuda said, no, forget about tshuva. The essence of the day brings kapar. Okay, fine. Chachamim say, no, you got to do tshuva. So it sounds like, okay, so it's not about the essence of the day. You just got to do tshuva. But no, Rambam says that the essence of the day brings atonement to one who does tshuva. That seems to combine both opinions. Am I being clear? Right? Mm-hmm. So you do got to do tshuva, but it's not just your tshuva. It's the essence of the day. So, so what's going on? Is it the essence of the day? Is it the tshuva? So the way Hasidus explains it is the following. What, but in order to understand, let's just try to understand what Rabbi Yehuda said. Why would the essence of the day bring atonement without tshuva? If I didn't do tshuva, why am I being atoned for? What is it about the day that's so powerful? of Yom Kippur, that brings tshuva, I'm sorry, that brings kapara, brings atonement. And the answer is, the answer lies in another unique thing that happens on Yom Kippur one time a year. What happens on Yom Kippur only once a year, that we never do this the entire year? We have five davenings. Right? On a regular day we have three. Shacharis, Mincha, Mayrif. On Shabbos we have four. There's also Musaf. Yom Tov, there's also Musaf. Yom Kippur, there's five. What's the idea of the five davenings? Says Chasidus, because, as we've learned from Chasidus, there are five levels of the neshama. Nefesh, ruach, neshama. I'm not going to explain them now. Each one, what the, the nefesh, ruach, neshama, the basic levels. Chaya is a transcendent level. Yechida. Yechida literally means yachid, connected to the one and onlyness of Hashem. There's a part of our neshama that is the yechida, the essence of our neshama, which is always pure, beautifully connected to Hashem. That part of our neshama cannot be soiled. It cannot be touched by sin. A person might sin throughout their lives. They're, and they affect their neshama, but not the yechida. There's a part of our neshama that remains wedged into Hashem and can never be in any way soiled or in any way made dirty in any way. What happens on Yom Kippur? On Yom Kippur, we're able to access that part of our neshama. And when that part of our neshama is accessed, then we're beautiful. Because that part never sinned. That part was never tainted, was never touched by anything that ever happened. So once that part is revealed, everything else sort of just falls away. And that's what Rabbi Yehuda said. Rabbi Yehuda said, you don't have to do tshuva. Like, what do you have to do tshuva for? For the lower parts of your neshama. The ones that were affected by sin. Today is not a day of tshuva. Today is a day of connecting with the essence of one's neshama. And the essence of one's neshama, you don't got to do tshuva. The essence of one's neshama is sinless. I don't know if there's such a word. But was never affected in any way by any type of sinfulness. When that part is there, then everything is perfect. The relationship is excellent with Hashem. Anything that was negative falls to the wayside. Because that part of the neshama was revealed. And that's what Rabbi Huda said. That that part of our neshama is revealed on Yom Kippur. And that's why there's no need for tshuva. 
because that part doesn't need shuv. Chachamim said, you're right. That part of the neshama doesn't need shuvah. And once that part of the neshama is revealed, everything is perfect. We just got to get do some shuvah to get to there. In other words, the atonement of Yom Kippur is not because of our shuvah. The chachamim, the sages, agree with Rabbi Yehuda that the atonement of Yom Kippur is because we reveal the part of our neshama that doesn't need any shuvah. The part of our neshama that's wedged in Takodesh Baruch Hashem. There, Rabbi Yehuda, you're right, say the Chachamim. But in order to help reveal that part of the Neshama, that's what we do the Tshuva for. So they're not totally arguing. They're not saying, nah, you got to do Tshuva. Our, our atonement is based on our Tshuva. No. Rabbi Yehuda is right. Our atonement is based on the essence of our Neshama being revealed, and that essence is one with Hashem. But the Chachamim say, and Rambam rules, we do Tshuva in order sort of to peel away the layers to allow the essence of our neshama to shine the way it can only on Yom Kippur. So if someone doesn't know to to, to do teshuva, if someone doesn't know anything, can Hashem reveal that level anyway? Yes, yes, yes. No, the the general, the basic avodah, the normal way of doing it is that we work on trying to peel layers away in order to find that that gift. But that gift is way beyond our avodah. And then there is the person who doesn't know better for whatever reason or so many different types of situations. And yeah, it's a day that that part of the neshama is definitely so much more accessible. And we even see it today that Klal Yisrael, people who never think of going to shul, Yom Kippur, people go to shul. There's something in the ear. There's something about that day that touch, touches and connects and calls to the essence of our neshama. And that's why, what happened on Yom Kippur in the Beis HaMikdash? What was the center of the Ahola Voda of the of Yom Kippur? The holiest person on the holiest day goes into the holiest place in the world. Right? It, it, this world is made up of three basic um, uh, divisions, which is time, space, people. The holiest of every one of those divisions comes together on Yom Kippur. The holiest person is the Kohen Gadol. On the holiest day, which is Yom Kippur, goes into the Kodesh HaKadosh and the holiest person. That was Tugazun. That was the center of the Avodah Yom Kippur. But we all say that whole part in our davening. In Musaf on Yom Kippur, there's this very lengthy section. Right? Musaf on Yom Kippur is the longest Shmona Esrei of the year. Right? And um, I'm going to assume that uh, no one here perhaps stood. Well, I'm not, I shouldn't make any assumptions. But most people don't stand through the entire Musaf of Yom Kippur. Um, I have the uh, pleasure and privilege of being the Chazan. <laughs> so there's, so I'm standing the entire Musaf of Yom Kippur. Now, put on top of that that I'm also a Kohen, which means I do Birchas Kohenim, so I stand without shoes the entire long Shmanesri of Yom Kippur, which is just a fact. So wait, you have to take, you have to take your shoes off for the whole thing? Yeah, because I can't in the middle of Shmona Esri take off my boots, right? So actually, I didn't mean to get into this, but I, when I was a little bit younger, what I used to do is see, when, you're domin- when I'm dominating for the Amos, I'm facing Mizrach. When you do the Birchas Kohen, I'm facing the, the Shul. So I jump around. So I used to, j- while I jumped around, jump out of my shoes. 
So I wore loose shoes and I jumped out of them and turned around. Um, and I know the the kid the kids the kids would line up before Berchaskonim to watch the acrobatical feat because you know I'm not known as being tremendously acrobatical normally, but at some point I don't know about ten years ago or so I stopped doing that and now I just just wear socks. I wear socks and I get a little rug, a little rug that's then that's um, for me when I daven. And that's what I have. I'm uh, Muslim, but it's it's a long shmanesri. <laughs> it's a very long shmanesri. But what is the length? What what's going on? What do we say there? We go through the entire avoda of the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur. Why is each one of us going through the avoda of the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur? Because in a small way, each one of us is the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur. The Kohen Gadol expresses the holiest person, going to the holiest place and the holiest day. On Yom Kippur is when each and every one of us is able to access the holiest part within ourselves, that Yechida Shebenefesh, and connect that to the holiness of the day, and through davening, connect to the Kodesh HaKadosh. So the essence of Yom Kippur, really, is revealing that part of us, that Yechida Shebenefesh, which is so connected to Hashem, that nothing, as we said before, ever soiled it, ever touched it. And whatever we may have done or didn't do, once that comes out, everything sort of just slips away. Because when that, when that is revealed in all its beauty, then nothing negative really holds a candle there. And that's really, I'm sorry, that's what Rabbi Yehuda meant. He said, you don't even have to do tshuva on Yom Kippur, says Rabbi Yehuda. Because it's just, it's the part of you that doesn't need tshuva. And the Chachamim said, as we said, you're right. But to get to there, we do tshuva. We do tshuva to peel away the layers in order to reveal that part of us that doesn't need any tshuva. So at what, at what part is like your yechida? So it, that's a great question. So the part that's most directly connected to the yechida is ni'ila. That's ni'ila. Ni'ila. And that's the fifth tefillah, and that's the highest tefillah, and the Aron Kodesh has opened the entire ni'ila, and that's definitely the holiest moments of Yom Kippur. However, the point is made, the entire day is a day of five tefillahs. The five fields, meaning also Yechida. So the part, the part of the day that's most directly uh, and openly connected with the revelation of Yechida is Ni'ilah. But the entire day we have the ability to access the Yechida Shepanefesh. And that's the Avod of the day. So that's why, interestingly, interestingly, whereas most people associate uh, Yom Kippur with a lot of tears and so on and so forth, and there's truth to that. By our Abayim, Yom Kippur was a day that they talked about a certain tainu, a certain just feeling an open connection with Hashem, a certain pleasure in that connection with Hashem. And like, they didn't look at, you know, tzaddikim didn't look at Yom Kippur being a fast day that's painful, because I'm not eating. It's more like the Holy Bradishiver said, he says, Hashem loves us so much, he gave us two fast days, really. Yom Kippur and Tisha B'Av. And those are two days that who would eat anyway? He said, on Tisha B'Av, who can eat? And Yom Kippur, who thinks about food anyway? <laughs> That's the Bardichever. I'm not talking for everyone. The point, though, is the point, though, is that Yom Kippur is a day of the ultimate connection of a Yid with Hashem. We have the ability to connect like no other day, like no other way. We have the ability to find and 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 touch and and reveal that part of our neshama that is just so connected. Again, that doesn't have to do tshuva. It's the tshuva is just to get there and then just to be able to experience that ultimate closeness to Hashem that we have achas bashana on that one and holiest day of the year. And that's in Kippur. So that is, I don't know what time is it.
Okay, so that is Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Two days, again, Rosh Hashanah, the essence being Kabbalah Samalchus, we accept Hashem's kingdom, we restart that kingdom, we bring Hashem's kingdom into the world for another year, that's Rosh Hashanah, and Yom Kippur is the day of just finding and enjoying the greatest and deepest connection that a person can have with Hashem. That's Yom Kippur. Then there's this extreme turnaround, and now it's Sukkot. Why do I say turnaround? Because from the the, uh, the days of awe and the somber and the davening and the, the tshuva and everything, suddenly celebration. And of course, they lead directly into each other. It's not it's not in any way uh, just you know piled up yom tovim. One leads directly to another. In fact, kabbalistically speaking, the sukkah is made up of. Now obviously, we make our sukkahs from whatever we make it. But the spiritual build of the sukkah. Says in Kabbalah, comes from the cloud that was created in the Holy of Holies on Yom Kippur when the Kohen Gadol came in with the Ketoros. Right When the Kohen Gadol comes into the Kodesh HaKadoshim on Yom Kippur, he has the incense, and that incense, there's fire and it's burning and creates Anan HaKetoros. It's called the cloud of the Ketoros, and that sort of envelops him in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. That... Um, excuse me, cloud that enveloped the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur is what becomes the sukkah that we all sit in five days later. So enveloped in that ruchas. Enveloped in that And that's exactly what sukkah is. Sukkah has so many messages. There's so much to, about sukkah. But what's the essence of sukkah? Right, tonight we're trying to... The essence of Rosh Hashanah, the essence of Yom Kippur. What's the essence of sukkah? Now we shake and ask, we're going to move on sukkah. And there's a simcha to sukkahs. And there's the nisachamayim, the pouring of the water, the libation of the water on the mezbeach on sukkahs. And there was a lot of sacrifices brought on sukkahs for all the nations of the world. There's a lot going on on sukkahs. A lot of different messages, a lot of ideas. It's a wonderful yom. But what's the essence of sukkahs? If you think about it, the essence of sukkahs is in the name sukkahs. And sukkah is a sukkah. Right? A sukkah is totally unique amongst all the mitzvahs that we have. We live in Hashem's envelopment, embrace. And we eat there, and we dance there, and we talk there, and we schmooze there, and we entertain there. Never in the year, at any other point, even in Yom Tovim, can we say that we're right now living surrounded by Ruchnius, by Hashem. Only a sukkah. A sukkah is a mitzvah that envelops us entirely. A, it envelops every part of our body. Okay, with our clothing and with others and doing whatever we want. You don't have to do something in the sukkah to be enveloped by it. It's not like going to the sukkah and davening. You could daven, but you're not fulfilling the mitzvah of sukkah more by davening. You could be eating. You could be reading a book. You could be entertaining. You could be schmoozing. When you're in a sukkah, you and everything you're doing and whoever is there with you is entirely enveloped by the Kedusha of Hashem. That is a direct expression and extension of Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, we dug down into the very essence of our soul and reached that part that's entirely connected to Hashem. The holiest part of our Neshama. I'm sorry, I should have mentioned this on Yom Kippur. It says on Yom Kippur, we connect to Hashem, we're like angels. Right? And that's expressed in the fact that on Yom Kippur we say the Baruch Shem loud. Right? Throughout the year we say Shema Yisrael Hashem Hashem Echad and we say Baruch Shem in an undertone because that's the tefillah of the angels. 
that's what it says. And on Yom Kippur, we're like angels, we say the Baruch Shimla. Point is, so Yom Kippur is this day of tremendous holiness and spirituality. Sukkot is bringing that whole holiness and spirituality and saying, you know what, that's where I'm going to live. That's where I'm going to eat. That's where I'm going to spend time. That, that great holiness, instead of being something that's way up there on Yom Kippur, comes down and for seven days, or eight days, in Golos, we have the tremendous chus of living in Hashem's embrace. And whatever we do is encompassed by Hashem. And that's the essence of sukkahs. That Rizal says that a sukkah has to be made up of at least two full walls and a little part of a third wall. Right? A tefach, a handbreadth. Says that Rizal, it's Hashem's embrace. Just like to the two walls are two parts of the arm and the hand. And the sukkah is Hashem's embrace after Yom Kippur. That Hashem says, for seven days you're invited to live in my embrace. That's sukkah. That's why sukkah is the only time of the year that we're visited by the greatest tzaddikim of Klal Yisrael. Right? Liushpizim. The Zohar tells us, and everyone knows, that on sukkah we have the seven great shepherds of Klal Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu, Avram, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Moshe, Aaron, Yosef. What does that mean, we're visited? They come to the sukkah. Yeah. Yeah, there are people that say that they don't see them. I, I've heard that. Yeah. Um, hard for me to relate. Hard for me to relate, but there are people who say that. Um, okay, I, I, I don't have an answer to your question, except that we know what it says in the Zohar, and what it's accepted by Tal Yisrael, that on these days, these tremendously holy neshamas come to spend time with us. Um, you're right, most people don't see them. Um, Tzadikim said, said that they saw that. You know, they, 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 you know, uh, previous Rebbe said, you know, here is Avram and here is Yitzchak, here is Yaakov. Did the neshamas come? Yeah. Those, so the tzaddikim saw the body and the neshama, or just the neshama? So this I'm not allowed to reveal. Okay. I'm sorry. Right. That, that's, you know... <laughs> yeah, please. Um, I don't know the answer to that question. I simply don't know. According to a number of stories, it sounds like they came and clothed in bodies for the tzaddikim. That's what a number of stories indicate, but I don't know clearly. I don't think the Zohar says. The Zohar says that these Ushpizim come. Many people have a special nusach, um, um, that they say welcoming the Ushpizim. I know it's not Chabad nusach, but many people say, tonight we welcome Avram, tonight we welcome Yitzchak and Yaakov. And as we know, in the Hasidic tradition, we're also visited by, Chaz, by, by Tzadikim of the of Hasidim, the, uh, of, of the Magin, the Alter Rebbe, and so on and so forth. Point is, we don't have this any other time of the year. Pesach is also a great Yom Tov. Hanukkah, Shavuos, Rosh Hashanah, never throughout the year do we have this concept. It's like, it's like uniquely a Sukkot concept. Why? Why do they only come to the Sukkot? The answer is because the sukkah is a holy place. As holy as we might make our dining rooms, and our dining room could also be holy, but there's only one time in the year Hashem says, come seven days and you're living in my home. I'm inviting you. You know, I'm inviting you, and you're living in my home, and you're living under my schach, and you're leaving your home. And that is because it's right after Rosh Hashanah. On Rosh Hashanah, you were able to connect to me in that way, and you brought me into the world. You were able to reveal that part that you're a child of Hashem. Reveal the part that you're carrying Hashem's mission into the world. On Yom Kippur, you reveal the very essence of your neshama, Yechid Hashem and Nefesh. And now, for seven days, come to me. And that's what it is. And that's why it's called Zman Simchaseinu. You can only imagine. What greater Simcha can there be for a person when I'm taking a seven-day vacation in Hashem's home? Right? I know some people are thinking maybe he should do the cooking too. I don't know. But, but that Hashem is inviting us 
to his house for Sukkot. And that is, that's Sukkot. And of course, it leads up, it all comes to the high point on Simchas Torah. Simchas Torah, which is the happiest day of the year. Um, and it's just a day that we celebrate. And we're celebrating with Hashem. We're celebrating with Hashem's Torah. We're celebrating with Hashem. Um, and the avoid of Simchas Torah is just to experience that Simcha. We're Many really... have a hard time. They do? With Simchas Torah. What? I think women, you know, because it's... Oh. Yeah. It's, you know, it's just it's different. Okay, I'm not. I can't argue with you. I'm not. I'm not <laughs> going to argue with you. But hard time or not hard time, a person has to try on Simchas Torah to connect and to celebrate with the Torah. Now, a person has to do what it takes and the way that the way that it works out, and you have to as we work with, and every community is different and how it's done and where it's done. But to think that Simchas Torah is only for men is a terrible mistake, obviously. Um, no part of Torah is only for men or only for women, especially this central month. And Simchas Torah being really the high point where this month headed to. So Rosh Hashanah leads into the Saras Mishuvah and to Yom Kippur and to Sukkot. And then it comes to that high point, which is Simchas Torah. And the Rabbim said that what you can accomplish on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur through davening and shul, you could accomplish on Simchas Torah through Simcha. Through Simcha and through singing and through dancing and through the Simcha, just celebrating with the Torah. And just like Rosh Hashanah, we said, it's not a day of necessarily learning a lot and whatever. It's more just Kabbalah, Salmach, Hashanah, saying to Hillam, Simcha Torah is a day of tremendous Simcha, feeling and thanking Hashem and just celebrating after all of these things. When you think about what ha- what's going on in Rosh Hashanah, what's going on in Yom Kippur, what's going on in Sukkot, all that leads into just a tremendous Simcha. And that's that final day of Simcha Torah. Now all of these Inyanim, all of these messages... The Kabbalah Salah of Rosh Hashanah and the Yechidah Shemineta Shuvim Kippur and the embrace of Hashem and Sukkot and the Simcha of Simcha Sarah is all, as we said, the Chodesh Hashvi, the seventh month that feeds the entire year. The entire year we're meant to live off these energies and these messages and these avodas of this very, very special time. So therefore, it's without a doubt the most special couple weeks of the year filled with and energies that are given to us and especially by following in the ways that the Torah tells us how to celebrate them and how to connect to them and Hashem Shalta should be able to connect to each message on its own properly and fully and should be able to do it in Mitzvah Hashem this year, a new year with new brachas and new amshach and to do it with Mashiach and Mitzvah Hashem third base amikdash and then it will be on a totally different level than ever before um, I just want to say, pales after this beautiful learning with you, and learning with you is always <laughs> beautiful. But I just, since it's a, it's just a preview day, since my birthday would be coming on Friday. But I just want to share with you a preview, revealed that abundant brachas and she could see the and every way, and uh, yes.